into our message today. Uh, please get your Bible, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the scripture on the screens, and we also have some Bibles uh, right in front of you. So 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, starting in verse uh, 17. Starting in verse 17, we're going to go 17, 18, and 19. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. It says this. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age or for the future, in other words, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So we are on a, on a series uh, of messages that we have entitled, I Give Up. And we're talking about things in our life that we are called in the scriptures by Jesus, by the Apostle Paul, to give up in our lives. And the, the premise of this whole uh, sermon series is that I believe, and maybe you grew up believing this too, that, that being a Christian was, was all about just um, agreeing on a certain set of beliefs. Or maybe you thought, like me, that being a Christian was, was participating in a, in a certain group of, of people. Uh, maybe you and me also believe that being a Christian was just this space that we would share once or twice a week. And so that's what I've been taught with, thinking about a little bit today because that, that belief was, was flawed because what Jesus teaches is very different. He's inviting us into a life that we can do together but it has to do with things in our lives that we're putting to death in order to be transformed into the image of Christ. The Apostle Paul says this in uh, Galatians 4, 19. Now, this, is, this verse is part of a larger passage in which Paul is, is addressing the Galatian Christians about their, their faith and their relationship with God. But he says this. He says, My dear children, for whom, for whom I am in great pains of childbirth until what? Christ is formed in you. And I love that verse because, because being a disciple, being a true disciple, means being formed into the image of Christ or, on the flip side, allowing for Christ to be formed in you. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here, Sunday after Sunday. Now, you can come here every Sunday, and I promise you, I am glad, happy to see you come here every Sunday. And I, I love that. But I would be doing you a disservice if, if I told you that the reason why we're here is just so that you show up here and then that's it. Because that's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we, we need to do work on ourselves. There's work on ourselves that we need to be doing. It's like this, uh, we've talked about this before, this sculptor who's got this, this image and then he's got the sculpture over here and he's looking at the image and he's taking parts, you know, out of this, uh, this piece of wood or... or uh, clay or whatever he's working on and he's comparing and he's like I want this image to look like this image and so he's doing work until the image is perfect 
And so that's similar to what we're called to be doing as Christians. We have the scriptures, we have the, the image of Jesus, and we start to align ourselves to what Jesus teaches, to who Jesus is, to the decisions that Jesus makes, and then we start transforming ourselves into the image of Christ. This is what Jesus teaches us. This is what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to do. That's why, that's why we're here. But, but I want to make a, I want to, I want to clarify something so that we don't get confused. This is not a matter of salvation. Like salvation just comes from Jesus. And I feel like I've, I've shared this ad nauseum, but I need to remind you this. This is not a matter of salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 says this, it's very clearly, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It is a gift from God. So this is very important. Salvation comes solely from Jesus. We are pure receptors or uh, recipients of this salvation that comes through him. That's it. We just receive it through faith. And that's a done deal. But the problem is that many people just stop there. We stop there, and that is not our, our calling. It does not end there. The Apostle Paul also says to the, to the Ephesians, he says that there is this pathway. So we receive salvation. That's great. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. But a lot of people, we just stop there. But that's not our calling, and that's not, a, that's not what it means to be a disciple. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do or for us to walk in. And so there's this, this pathway that we're created to walk in. And this is, the, this is the way of the disciple. And as we're walking through life and we're trying to be like Jesus and we're walking this path, there are things in our lives that don't allow us to move forward. There's this, this weight that we're carrying, that we're called to, to let go of, like what Hebrews 12 talks about. We talked about that last week. We need to take out these things in our lives that are adding weight to our walk with, with Jesus. And the question then becomes, how do we do that? How do we, how do we make this happen? And then Colossians talks, talks to us about the things in our lives that we are called to put to death. So that's what this whole series is about. This series is, is asking the question, and the question is not, do I have something that I need to put to death? No, no, no. The question is, what is it that I am currently putting to death in my life? Because if the answer to that question is nothing, then I would argue maybe you're not actually following Jesus. You've received the salvation, but you're not following Jesus. So we have to ask ourselves that question, and we talked about this in the last the last three weeks, and the first week we talked about envy, like letting go of envy. The next week we talked about fear and letting go of fear. Last week we talked about toxic relationships, and we, we let go of toxic relationships, which I want to clarify again, if you weren't here last Sunday, this was not me giving you permission to leave your spouse. Just want to clarify that again. We will talk about that in a future message, okay? But today we're going to talk about greed. We're going to talk about greed. So I'm going to tell you three jokes about greed. You guys ready for three jokes? So pretty bad. Why did the greedy banker switch careers and become a baker? Because he needed more dough. <laughs> Number two, I'm almost done, I promise. Why did the greedy person be, uh, sorry, why did the greedy person bring a ladder to the bank? Because they wanted to check their balance. Okay, I'm almost done, I promise you. One more, one more. Why did the greedy banker switch careers? 
because he lost interest. Okay, all right. You guys are so gracious. Okay. The reason why I start off with these three terrible jokes is so we can kind of relax because I know that greed is one of those things that makes us uncomfortable. Like we don't want to admit that we have, that we have greed. No one's proud of, of greed. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say, hey, raise your hand if you're a greedy person. Now, the past weeks I said envy and, you know, about 10%, right? But then I said hypocrisy and it was like half of you. And I'm like, okay, well, they're very honest. But with greed, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a strange one. It's an uncomfortable one. And I would argue that most of us, I would say all of us, probably deal with greed in varying degrees. So, so what is greed? Let's, let's start with like a working definition of, of greed. And this is imperfect, um, but it's, it's the definition of a greedy person who's not a Christian, let's say. So a person who's greedy and is not a Christian would say, everything I have, I have earned for myself, and all the things that I have earned for myself are mine to keep. Okay? Now, we could go and talk to a Christian so a Christian would say, well, yes, everything that I have, I have received from God. But even though everything that I have, I have received from God, he gave it to me and it's all for me. Okay? And so it makes sense. If you think about it, it makes sense. You can say, I have earned it. I have worked for it. It wasn't given to me for free. So whether it came from God uh, or not, you still think that that is yours, only and exclusively for you. That is the definition of greed. But 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides, with, provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This is, you may say, Pastor, that verse is not for me. That doesn't apply for me. I'm off the hook. I'm like, why? Well, because it says rich. And I'm not rich. Um, so, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if anyone here would say, I am rich, necessarily. Maybe you would. But I think that a lot of us wouldn't, wouldn't say we're rich because we don't feel rich. How, how much would you have to make in order to feel rich? The answer is always the same. Just a little bit more. All right? You may say, I'm not rich because you don't feel rich. The question is, who are you comparing yourself to? If you're comparing yourself to the Kardashians, you're probably not wealthy compared to them. But compared to the rest of the world, most of you are. If you live in a household that brings in more than 12000 a year, that verse was for you. If you ate out last week or the week before, even if it's Taco Bell, this verse is for you. If you arrived here in a car, this verse is for you. If you have choice of clothes, you don't have to wear the same thing every day. You can look at it like, oh, I don't like that color. I think I'm going to wear something different today. That verse is for you. If you, hadn't have to, if you didn't have to think about where your next meal is coming from, that verse is for you. Some of you guys know I grew up as a missionary in South America in Chile, and sometimes we would bring pastors in, missionaries from the United States, and they would be invited to preach. And they would preach, and they would give examples like, yeah, when I was golfing, la, 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 la. Or they would use another example, yeah, when I was in my house and my AC went out and this and this and this and that. Or when I was at this restaurant and uh, the, the service was really bad, this and this and this happened. And I would always have to pause, and because I made the mistake once, but 
that's the only time I made the mistake because the moment you start talking about a car or AC or anything like golf or things like that, there's only one thing that goes into the person's mind in a third world country. They're thinking they're, they're rich. And so that they're, not, they're not thinking about anything other than that, but they don't know that. It's not their fault in the same way that it's not our fault. Sometimes we just don't understand how rich we are, and it takes going to a third world country in order to realize, wow, this is how most of the world lives. They're working that day in order to get money or some resource to be able to eat that same, that same day. Now, I just want to make sure that you understand that the reason why I'm sharing this with you today is not to make you feel guilty or not to make me feel guilty. If you go on great vacations, if you drive a nice car, if you have a a second home, that's all great. And the reason why that's all fine and it's all good is because we just read what it says. It says, God richly provides us with everything for what? For our enjoyment. So there's nothing wrong with that. If you have more than enough, it's because God has given it to you in part for your enjoyment. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessing that God gave to you and your only proper response to how God has blessed you is gratitude. Thank you, God, for what you have have given me. And Paul continues saying about the rich, right? He says, just don't be arrogant, Just don't be arrogant and don't put your your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Like, we don't know. We have it now, but maybe tomorrow we won't. And then he defines what it means to be rich. He defines what true riches is. He says this. He says, rich in good deeds. By showing, basically what he's saying is, is rich in good deeds. And how are you rich in good deeds? By sharing your wealth with those who are in need. And verse 19 says, in this way, it says, you will lay up treasure for themselves. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the future, for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So what he's saying is that even if you have or in the future have all the wealth that you could ever dream of, you would make a mistake in assuming that all of that is for you. Because, because if you make that mistake, you will realize that in your life, there will always be something missing. There will always be something missing. Even if you have everything that you ever dreamed of, and it, you keep it all for you, and you do all the things that you ever dreamed of, vacations, cars, house, everything, there will always be something missing in your Life. The Apostle Paul says you will be living your life halfway. You will be missing out on the life that is truly life unless you share with those in need. Acts 20, 35, this is Paul saying goodbye to the elders in Ephesus. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Christ himself that said this, it is more blessed to what? Give than it is to receive. You see, I grew up believing that, that giving was just another requirement in order for me to be approved by God. If I gave, if I gave to the church, if I gave to the poor, then God was happy with me, okay? So when I read the word blessed, more blessed to give than to receive, blessed means happy. And so in my mind, I was making God happy by giving to the poor, or I was making him happy because I gave to the church, 
But the reality is that he's not saying that. What he's saying is that at the end of the day, the person who will be happier by being generous to one another is not God, it's actually you. You will, leave, you will live a more happy life by being generous. You will, be, you will begin living the life that is truly life. You will find purpose in your life. So again, I think it's great. If you make money, that's amazing. If you invest your money, that's great. If you have a CD and you've got multiple homes, properties, nice cars, somebody, some of you guys are thinking, well, that would be nice. I would love that that were me. But if you have, any, like if you have more than enough, which is most of us here, by the way, Jesus says there's nothing wrong with enjoying it. But you will never, it will never be enough until you share your wealth with those in need. You see, greed is assuming that all that you have is yours. But the Bible teaches us that that will be a dead end road. And the only way to end this is through generosity. It's the only way. Because generosity breaks the power of greed. If you have greed, if you have that definition in your heart, like, oh, I think everything is mine... What breaks that power over your life is generosity. It will break it. So you rid yourself of greed in your life by being generous. And this is the invitation for you today. How do we break the power of greed? We break it by being generous. And how are you and I called by God through the scriptures to be generous? It's through our tithes and our offerings. I love that silence that comes right after that. Just, let's just sit in that one for a little bit. How does that feel? Because it's a good question. Like how, does, what, how does your heart respond to that? I think that's a valuable thing to, to look into and to analyze. How, what happens in your heart when you hear that? I think it's important. You see, tithing is a, is a spiritual discipline. Just like prayer, just like scripture reading, just like church attendance, just like communion. And we see tithing in the Old Testament. And we see tithing in the New Testament. And we see tithing in the first century church. And we see tithing into our present period of time. What is a tithe? Well, a tithe is 10%. That's literally what it means. It's, it's 10% of, of, of your income. It's 10% of that. And the idea is to give 10% back to God as a representation of the whole. What, what does 10% mean? Well, it's like everything that I have, God, I have received from you. I'm giving back this a portion of everything that you have given me, and I don't have fear to do that because I know the source, and I know that there is more from where that came from. So there's no fear in that. It's a step of, of faith. Old Testament offerings, there was the tithes, there was the first fruit offerings, there was the free will offerings, there's a bunch of other offerings. That's not even counting the temple tax, but there were different offerings that people would give, and some scholars would say that was about 17% of a household income. They would, they would give that back to God. And you may say, Pastor, that tithing is an Old Testament thing. Didn't Jesus come to abolish the law? Like, I think I've read of that before. Didn't Jesus come to abolish the law? Well, let me clarify that for you. It's actually the opposite. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. Matthew 5.17 says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. So what is the difference between abolishing and fulfilling? Talking about the law. Jesus came to not abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So the question is, what does it mean to abolish something? When you abolish something, you're destroying it. You're putting an end to it. You're, you're making it disappear. You're doing away with it. You're eliminating it. You're making it obsolete. So Jesus did not come to do that with the law. He did not come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. So, so what does that mean? 
What does that mean? It means that, that even though Jesus died and rose from the dead, which he did in part to fulfill the law, we should continue to do the things, many things that the law says. We should continue to forgive. We should continue to pray. We should continue to be kind. We should continue to not kill. You know, we should continue to come to church. We should continue to tithe. There's all these things that Jesus did not come to abolish, but he came to fulfill. So what does it mean to fulfill them? Well, in simple terms, it means that these things are no, no longer matters of salvation. You're not tithing to be saved. You're not forgiving to be saved. You're not, you're, not, you're not doing the things that the law says in order to receive salvation. Jesus fulfilled in his life and death all of our shortcomings. That's why now it is no longer an obligation for you to give anything. And this is an important distinction. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul talking to the church, he said, each one should give what you have decided in your heart to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't care if you give zero on Sunday or if you give $100,000 on Sunday. I care. I would much rather you give $100,000 than zero. Our elders care too. We all care. We could do a lot with that money. But it doesn't change your standing before God. So let me give you nine reasons not to give. Okay. The elders are looking at me like, you're not really selling it, Pastor. But it's true. I'm going to give you nine reasons not to give. You don't give to be saved. You don't give to compensate for your sin. You don't give to get right with God. You don't give because someone else decided it for you. You don't give under pressure. You don't give under compulsion or emotion. You don't give to get something in return. You don't give to be seen by others, and you do not give to pay for the service. In fact, if you've ever felt from the stage in any way pressured, guilty, emotionally manipulated, condemned, if you've ever felt that way, I am sorry because that is not the heart of generosity. You see, the only biblical way, the only godly way to give is number one, cheerfully, and number two, what you have decided. So cheerfully means basically you're you're, you're being grateful to God for everything that he has given you. This is from a grateful heart toward he who richly provides for all of your needs. That's cheerful. It's gratitude. It's not pressure. It's not, oh, man, God's going to hate me if I don't give. That's not good. And number two is what I want to close with is what you have decided. What you have decided. And I've been thinking about this quite a bit. You see, there's a difference between between a tithe, which is a percentage, a percentage of your income, and an offering. It's different. And I might not be being uh, as precise as I want to with this language, but I want to I make a point here. I've been thinking about this a little bit. This is the question. When you're, when you're giving God an offering as opposed to a tithe, when you're just giving him an offering, like, hey, I'm going to give you this. This is the question that you're, that you're asking when you're giving him an offering. You're asking, how much do I have? 
That's what you're asking. How much do I have? So you're thinking, I have a mortgage, bills, gas, cell phone. I have all these bills. And then at the end of the day, you're like, how much do I have, how much do I have left here? How much do I have left? Lovingly, I want to ask you a question. Do you think that this honors God who richly provides for all of your needs? Looking at what you have left at the end of the day. It's like, oh, I paid all these things. I have a little bit. Like you're giving this to God. How much do I have left? You see, if this is the question you're asking before you you give God, how much do I have left? I want to ask you respectfully to keep your money. You don't need to be tipping God. He doesn't need your money. You see, a tithe is different. A tithe asks a better question. A tithe does not ask, how much do I have left? What's the minimum that I can give God? A tithe asks this question, how much does God give me? How much does God bless me with? How much does God allow for me to enjoy in my life? You see, that's a, that's a better question because you're no longer giving him the last. You're giving him the first. That, that first check that, that, that we write, that you write, the first thing it should be for God. And here's why. God put, this is the question, this is what you need to think about. God put me first by giving me his best. I should, therefore, put God first and give him my best. See, my challenge to you this morning is to stop improvising. Oh, how much do I have left? How much can I, can I give God? I want you to think about this seriously, maturely, as a believer, as a disciple of God, that you will go home, talk to your spouse, think about it, pray about it, and give to God not what you think in the moment, but what you have decided in your heart to give. I won't tell you how much to give. I don't think any pastor should tell you how much to give. I want you to hear from God. I really, really do. And what will happen to you is probably the same thing that happened to the first century Christians. I mean, think about this. When you pray, when you you go home and you pray about this, you think about this, and you realize that you can give to God as little as you want because Jesus fulfilled the law, And you begin to think about what Jesus gave you. And you begin to realize that he put you first. And you realize that he did not improvise with you. What will happen to you will probably happen, will happen to you what happened to the early church. Which you can read about in Acts chapter 2, 44 and 45. It says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they didn't give 10%. They didn't give 17%. What did they give? They gave way more. That was the response from their heart. And so I want to close with this. Um, as, I, as you know, I grew up in Chile as a missionary there, and, and there's a new law that came out a few years ago, and it's, it's a law for, for tipping. So at a restaurant, when, you, um, when, you, when you're at a restaurant, uh, in Chile, people were terrible tippers, and so they, they placed a law that they're just going to take 10% of whatever the, the meal was that's going, to go, that's going to go for the tip. And I hate that law because, I mean, I understand it because in Chile, they're terrible tippers, right? But I wish they would reverse that law because what they did was they eliminated the possibility of being generous. 
And that's what the tithe was in the Old Testament. It was an obligation. It was a mandate which eliminated the option for them to be able to give cheerfully. Think about it. If it's an obligation, you can't give cheerfully. And you also can't give what you have decided because it's a law. Jesus abolished that law. And you and I are now free to give as much or as little as you want. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. Why do you think the early church gave way more now that they were free to give as little as they wanted to? Why was the response to give more when they could give as much as they wanted or as little as they wanted? Here it is. Here's the reason. And it's true for us here too as well. Because love, grace, and forgiveness are much more powerful agents of life change than guilt and condemnation will ever be. Let's close our eyes here for a minute and let's, uh, I'm going to say a few things and then we're going to pray. So maybe you're here this morning and you're incredibly uncomfortable right now. Maybe you're here this morning and you completely disagree with the message. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're thinking that it's time to take your next step in your generosity walk with God. Maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've always given above and beyond. I don't know. I don't know who gives what or how much each person gives. I've decided to not know. I don't think it's good for me to know. But I want you to allow these words to encourage you to do one thing. And that is to listen to what God is asking you to do. And that your response will be, that you will analyze your heart and realize whether or not you're actually giving cheerfully or you have a, an Old Testament understanding of what it means to give. I know this congregation right now is very diverse and, and probably on different um, thought processes with, with what it means to, to be generous and tithes and offerings and all that. But I think we all have a next step to take. And my invitation to you this morning is that you will take that next step. And I can make you this promise. I can promise you that you will be blessed. I promise you you will be blessed. I have heard some terrible sermons promising things that will happen to you as a result of giving, that he will bless your socks off with financial prosperity. And I've heard terrible messages also preached that saying that if you don't give, God is going to make your life miserable. Those are lies. I can't promise you that he will bless you. I don't know how he will bless you, but he will. So I want to pray for everyone here that God will encourage us to do what he's asking us to do. So Lord God, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy, and we thank you for this message today. And I pray that we will take in what it is that you've spoken to each one of us today and that we'll take our next step in our giving to you, that our giving will truly be from the heart, that our giving will truly be with a heart of gratitude, with cheerfulness, and that our, our giving will be what we have decided, not what someone else decided for us, not what we felt pressured into doing, but that truly, God, every single person here will be able to hear from you and respond to what you have called them to do. And so we pray these things and we thank you in Jesus' name.
Amen.